Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? It's time for a Tech Stuff Tidbits episode. This one's a little different from the ones I typically do. And it's because, uh, well, it's because of a few things. First of all, among all my other geeky qualities, I am a musical theater fan. And like a lot of musical theater folks and even people outside of musical theater fandom, I absolutely was captivated by Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton when that debuted several years ago now. And One thing that delighted me was discovering that he had written some songs that didn't make it into the show. And one of those songs was about one of America's iconic founding fathers, a man who was never president, but was a very important ambassador and an inventor and uh, kind of a smart aleck, uh, Benjamin Franklin. And he wrote a song for Benjamin Franklin, who was originally going to appear in Hamilton, but ultimately it just didn't really make sense for the the scope of the show. So it got cut. But he handed the lyrics over 
to the band The Decemberists. Uh, apparently, he said that he had always thought of it as having a sort of sound like The Decemberists' other music. So The Decemberists composed music to go along with these lyrics. They padded it out a little bit, and you get Ben Franklin's song. Word of warning, that song, while hilarious, also has a lot of coarse language in it. It is not family-friendly, I will say that, but it's very, very entertaining. And in part of it, long story short, too late, there's a, a reference to the hardened glass harmonica, or harmonica. Both words have been used to describe it. And that made me want to do an episode about this particular invention, because not only was it a really cool invention, a really neat idea to create an entirely new musical instrument based off of older techniques, but also because this instrument has a very strange reputation. It has a reputation for causing distress, though it's entirely possible this reputation was invented rather than earned, sort of like how reports of chaos in the wake of the War of the Worlds radio broadcast seem to have been more exaggerated, not, you know, if not entirely invented out of whole cloth. If you've ever looked into the supposed panic caused by the War of the Worlds radio broadcast, you find out there wasn't so much panic as there was a lot of media reports about alleged panic. Well, it seems like that may have also been the case with the the panic around the glass harmonica, but we'll get there. And I'll also call out another podcast, which did a full episode about that and is really, really good. So first, let's talk about what the hardened glass harmonica or harmonica was really based off of and what it does and how it all comes down to glass harps. So that's another name for an instrument that uses a series of glasses, like like drinking glasses. Sometimes they're made out of crystal. Uh, wine glasses are pretty common. The player of this instrument runs a wet finger around the rim of a glass, or sometimes multiple glasses. And this produces an ethereal note. At least if you do it correctly, the glass sings. It vibrates and rings out. So using different sizes of glasses or by adding or removing some liquid to a glass or several glasses, it allows you to make different notes, to produce different pitches. If you add more water to a glass, it actually produces a lower pitch. I'll explain why in just a second. So with a collection of these glasses that are each tuned just right to represent specific notes on the musical scale, a skilled player can actually play a tune on glasses, running their fingers around it. I'm sure you've seen this, or maybe you've seen videos of it. Maybe you've done it yourself. It's not difficult to do. You can actually just do this with your typical glass. It has to be glass, uh, typically, because that's what you're going to be able to get something to make a note that's, that's audible. Now, to understand what's going on, we do have to go into some physics. And first up, we need to talk about friction. Now, I'm sure all of you know what friction is already, but just to set a foundation, friction is the resistance you encounter when one surface moves across another surface. Obviously, that resistance depends upon the surfaces. Like if you were to take two pieces of silk and rub them against each other, you would find that they produce a lot less friction than if you took two pieces of rough grade sandpaper and then 
rub the sandpaper parts against each other. You'd have a lot more friction in that second case. But when your finger makes contact with a glass, there's friction between your finger and the glass, which is a good thing. Or else you would never be able to pick up that glass, and you would never be able to take a drink, and you'd be very, very thirsty. But the friction can be enough to make your fingertips stick against the glass's surface a little bit. So it's actually not that easy to move your finger smoothly along the rim of the glass. And for that reason, glass harp players will first wet their fingers. They'll dip their fingers in some liquid. Uh, I remember back when I was first learning about this when I was a kid, it was always vinegar for some reason, but it could be other stuff. Wine is also pretty common, especially uh, for things like someone doing this at a party. They would use wine glasses with wine in them filled to different levels, and it, they, it would be called like singing wine. And uh, this introduces this, this liquid on your fingers, introduces a layer of lubrication that allows the finger to slip against the glass more readily. And of course, it is possible to make your fingers too slippery because if they're too slippery, then they aren't producing enough vibration for you to have a note. So what you really need is the perfect balance so that your finger is creating enough, but not too much friction as you're moving it around the rim in a circle. And when this happens, when you get that just right, with the right pressure and the right amount of lubrication, the motion you are creating will cause vibrations to move through the glass. And this ends up being the note that you hear. Now, I have talked a lot about sound in tons of previous episodes of Tech Stuff, but we'll go over it again really quickly. Sound, when you get down to it, is really vibration. Our perception of sound, hearing being the primary way for most people to perceive sound, involves sensing vibrations. So in hearing, this typically means that something has produced vibrations significant enough to cause air molecules around it to fluctuate. So you get little changes in air pressure. Air molecules are kind of pushing against each other and then pushing back. So the air molecules themselves are vibrating and they vibrate outward from the source of the sound. If the vibrations are great enough, if they have enough amplitude and we aren't too far away from the source, we can experience these fluctuations of air molecules. The Changes in air pressure can affect our eardrums and cause the eardrum to vibrate. And tiny bones in our inner ear connected to the eardrum also connect to the cochlea. Uh, it's a structure in our inner ear that contains an organ called the organ of corti or corti. Now, I don't want to get too bogged down in all of this because it gets into a lot of physiology that I'm just not prepared to chat about. But essentially what's happening is little nerves in our ears pick up these vibrations and transform that into signals that our brain can interpret as the experience of sound. So when you tra trace it all back to the source, again, it's all about vibration. Now, the rate at which something vibrates is called a frequency, and we use a unit of measure for frequency called a hertz. And this tells us the number of times something has a full oscillation within a second. So an oscillation is, you can think of it as going from the starting point to the end point and back to the starting point again. Like if you're, if you're making waves with a jump rope or something like that, it's one full wavelength would be an oscillation. 
So if something vibrates only once a second, that would be one hertz. The range of typical human hearing is between 20 hertz or 20 oscillations or vibrations per second, which would be a very, very low-pitched sound, and it goes up to 20,000 hertz or 20 kilohertz. That would be a very, very high-pitched sound uh, because whatever is vibrating is vibrating 20,000 times per second. Also, as we get older, we typically start to lose hearing at certain pitches, so our, our range narrows. This is why you will hear stories about stores that will play sounds at much higher pitches that irritate young people because they still have the capability of hearing those those pitches, while old people like me remain completely unaware because we can't hear those those uh, pitches anymore. Okay, that's the very basics of hearing from a, a very, very, very high level. When we come back from this break, I'm going to talk about resonant frequency and what that has to do with glass harmonicas. But first, let's take this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Okay, we're back. Now we're going to talk about resonant frequency. So if you have a glass and you lightly tap it with, say, a spoon, like think about, you know, weddings and stuff where people would tap their glasses in order to signal that the the groom and bride should kiss or that the bride and bride or groom and groom should kiss. Uh, you know, it's any of those cases. So if you tap a glass, it produces a tone. That tone, it, it has the resonant frequency of that glass. This is the natural frequency of the glass's vibration. Now that depends on lots of stuff. It depends on the size and the thickness of the glass and also whether or not anything's in the glass. Like I said earlier, if you put liquid in a glass, you start to lower the pitch of the tone it produces. That's because liquid actually inhibits vibration. It makes it, it it's more work to vibrate because you've got more matter that you have to push around. So the more matter that's in the glass, the lower the pitch is going to be because it's going to vibrate uh, fewer times per second, essentially. So you get a lower pitch. All right. If you produce a sound that has the same frequency as the resonant frequency of a glass, then that actually induces vibrations in the glass as well. So in other words, if you were to tap a glass and it played out, say, middle C, which would be a very low note for a glass, but whatever, it produces middle C, then if you were to produce a middle C sound with enough amplitude, enough volume, you would cause the glass to start vibrating at that resonant frequency and you could potentially do it enough for the glass to deform to the point where it breaks. And you've probably seen or heard of demonstrations of this. The classic example is you have an opera singer producing just the right vocal note with just the right amount of, of oomph, of amplitude, of volume, and singing loudly and longly enough to cause a glass to shatter. It's a pretty common thing to see in like movies and TV. And obviously Mythbusters did an, a thing on it as well, where they reproduced a tone and showed that it is possible. It's not easy to do necessarily, but it is possible. Uh, and side note on that, it is easy to get an object to vibrate and its resonant frequencies, which can also include harmonics. Uh, that gets super complicated. We're not going to dive into harmonics in this episode, but uh, it, it it is a you know harmonics is what it sounds like right so if you were to produce a harmonic frequency to a resonant frequency you could also get something to vibrate but it's very difficult to get something to vibrate at any frequency apart from its resonant frequency and harmonics okay so let's get back to the glass harp rubbing your moistened finger along the rim of a glass can create just the right amount of of friction to cause the glass to vibrate at its resonant frequency, which produces a note. And if you make a whole bunch of glasses and they're all of slightly different sizes and thickness, or you fill them with different amounts of liquid, you can produce lots of different notes. And if you tune these glasses so that they match frequencies of specific musical notes, you can play music. Uh, it does get a little complicated. And um, we should also mention that Tuning things to specific musical notes is not as straightforward as it sounds, partly because there are different definitions of what makes up a musical note, depending on whether you're a scientist or a musician. 
And what do I mean by that? Well, Joseph Saveur, a French scientist of the 18th century, proposed that middle C, the note middle C, which if you were to look at a piano keyboard and you start on the left side of the keyboard, middle C would be the fourth C note as you go to the right on the keyboard. Well, he said that middle C's frequency should be 256 hertz. However, there's another standard called the Stuttgart pitch or the A440 pitch. And that one marks middle C as having a frequency of 261.63 hertz. If you were to listen to these two tones, right, one after the other, it can be a little challenging to tell them apart because while 256 and 261.6 are different, they're still really close and the human ear is not great at picking up very subtle shifts for the typical person. I mean, there are extraordinary people out there who are able to to detect such things easily. I am not one of them. So why did the scientific community say middle C should be 256 hertz? It's because 256 is a power of two, which makes things easier when you're doing calculations. But musicians sort of aimed for this A4 note at being 440 uh, frequency. And that in turn meant that middle C had to be 261.63 once you started to work outward from A440. So yeah, two different ways of, of tuning and uh, it gets pretty subtle, but it does make a difference. Now, whatever pitch standard you're determined to follow, your job as an aspiring glass harp player is to pick out a selection of glasses that can produce a tone that's reasonably close to the various pitches of musical notes. And then you, you designate them in some way so that you remember, all right, well, this is A, this is B, this is C, all the way up to G, and then all the incidentals or accidentals. You would need to have those arranged just right so that you could produce the tones that you want. And then you would play glasses in specific sequences and combinations to produce music. Uh, really talented players can play multiple glasses all at the same time by spreading their fingers out really wide and making contact with the rims of multiple glasses and create things like chords, which is amazing. Like when I see someone who's really good at this, it is phenomenal. Well, earlier glass instruments actually involve striking glasses with like a little, a little striking stick, for example, like a little padded hammer. Um, there are written accounts that date to the late 17th century, so the late 1600s, in other words, that actually describe playing glasses by dipping one's fingers in wine and then rubbing the rim of the glass. So we know that at least as early as the late 1600s, people had started to play glass harps in this way. And now we're ready to talk about Benjamin Franklin and his contributions to this. So the story goes that Franklin was traveling Europe in the mid-1700s. He was acting as an ambassador for the United States and visiting uh, places like England and France and attempting to you know, advance the the interests of the colonies at the time and and get them in a better position. Uh, and that he attended a concert at some point in this range of years, during which a musician entertained the audience by playing the glass harp. And that got old Benny Boy to thinking. See, when you have your traditional glass harp, the, the musician has to deftly move between glasses. They constantly are keeping their hands in motion as they're 
rubbing the rims of glasses in this circular motion. But Ben thought, what if you could rotate the glasses and then you just press a wet finger to the rim and you could just hold your finger there. You don't have to move your finger around the glass. The glass is rotating. So that way you can produce this note, but you don't have to do this circular motion the whole time. Wouldn't that make it easier to play the glass harp? Well, yeah, but how do you do that? So Franklin figured that if you could create a stack of tuned glass bowls, each tuned to a single note, and then separated from all the other bowls with some sort of dampener like a cork uh, type material so that they're not making contact with each other, because if you did that, then there would be issues with producing the right vibrations. You could create a, a stack of containers tuned from low to high or high to low. The largest bowl would produce the lowest note. The smallest bowl would produce the highest pitch note. So step one was just having glass bowls made that could produce approximations of specific musical notes, then finding a way to stack them while not having them actually make contact with each other, and then finding a way to rotate them so that you could rub your fingers against the rim of each of these bowls and produce these notes. Then Franklin came up with this amazing idea of drilling a hole through the bottom of each bowl. Through those holes, he inserted an iron rod. So now you had a stack of bowls, uh, the original harmonica had 37 of them, and they're on a stick. And then he turned the stick horizontal, and then he mounted it in a cabinet and connected the rod to a wheel that could rotate. So this is the rotational action that causes the whole rod and thus all the bowls that are mounted on the rod to rotate. So you just put your finger against the rim of the bowl and it sings. So he connected that wheel to a foot pedal, a treadle, similar to what you would find on an old treadle-powered sewing machine. And he used a belt to connect the two. So by pedaling with your foot, you could provide the rotational force needed to turn the wheel, which in turn was connected to this iron rod that had all these bowls mounted on it. So you would treadle, it would spin the bowls, and then you would move your fingers on the rims of these bowls to produce the music. That was composer William Zeitler playing the glass harmonica. It was truly ingenious. And it, it drastically simplified playing the glass harp. I mean, really, it was a different instrument. It was, in, as he called it, the harmonica or harmonica. And Franklin was known to give performances in Europe. Uh, he also produced some of these for musicians to play. He himself was an amateur musician. And uh, according to what I read, people were delighted to attend one of his performances where he would play well-known pieces and some compositions of his own on the harmonica. But there were other musicians who became truly uh, famous for playing this instrument. I imagine it was quite the challenge for him to tour around with this thing because you'd have to pack it up in such a way to minimize the possibility of damage. You know, you have a lot of glass pieces in there. In fact, there are a lot of historical harmonicas that suffered damage during shipping incidents in the modern era where you had, say, a museum uh, 
receiving a glass harmonica from some, uh, like some of Franklin's descendants. And then in the shipping, some of the bowls got cracked and broken. So it, it was a really delicate instrument still is to this day. I mean, the harmonica still is a thing, although you're more likely to encounter it in a museum than you are on the stage. Now, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to get to the weird stuff. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Okay, we're back. So Franklin invents this glass harmonica and drastically changes how you can produce music by, by creating these vibrations in glass with your fingertips. And his invention was a, a pretty big hit in Europe, uh, according to the Franklin Institute. And old Benny was just happy to donate his invention to the world. He didn't patent it. He didn't file a patent for this invention. 
He apparently thought that it there was sort of a moral imperative to share your ideas with the world in order to contribute to the general improvement. And that trying to keep an idea to yourself or to maintain ownership of it was uh, almost like a, an immoral or evil thing to do. Um, keeping in mind that he also was enjoying a lot of support from his country, so he wasn't in a position where he was like starving or anything of the sort. So he was in a real position of privilege as well. We have to acknowledge that. Anyway, composers, including really famous ones like Mozart and Beethoven, wrote pieces for the glass harmonica. But the instrument was somewhat limited in scope. Uh, you could actually change the the amplitude or volume of the notes you played by adjusting how much pressure you were putting on the rims of the bowls as you played them, but only to a point. And if you were to combine the harmonica with an orchestra of other instruments, it was very easy for the harmonica's sound to get lost in the mix because there was a limited amount of volume you could produce. So it had limited utility, which meant that, you know, you could have these nice little pieces written for it, almost distractions, but you couldn't easily incorporate it into more uh, ambitious works of music. Another drawback of the harmonica is obviously it is a very physically delicate instrument. And when you make an instrument out of glass, you really take some risks. They were expensive to make because you had to get the bowl sizes just right to produce the notes you needed. And so the instrument also had limited practicality just because they were difficult to keep in good working order and they were expensive to repair or replace. But the truly weird part of this instrument is that they got a reputation for giving people the heebie-jeebies, or worse. The sound produced could be perceived as unpleasant or unsettling to some. Kind of like how some people really hate the sound made when you rub your hand against the surface of a, of a rubber balloon, or the horrible fingernails down the chalkboard sound, like those just make people's skin crawl. Well, some people had a similar reaction to hearing the music produced by the harmonica. And there arose reports of people having unpleasant reactions, or worse, what during or shortly following an harmonica performance. One of the quotes I found while doing research on this, at least in most of the sources I came across, allegedly came from an 18th century writer named J.C. Miller and says, quote, It is true that the harmonica has strange effects on people. If you are irritated or disturbed by bad news, by friends, or even by a disappointing lady, abstain from playing it. It would only increase your disturbance. End quote. Now, the reason why I said it came from, uh, allegedly came from a writer named J.C. Miller, is that's the name that I found in a lot of different sources that all seem to be pulling from the same root source. And I could not find J.C. Miller. I kept looking, I kept trying to find the original source. And eventually, I found out why I couldn't find J.C. Miller, because at some point, someone must have made a mistake with that person's name. And a lot of other people repeated that mistake, and thus J.C. Miller was born. But no, the actual person who did say that quote, although it was in German, so it wasn't 
exactly the same as how I just recited it, was a man named Johann Christian Müller in his work Anleitung zum Selbstunterricht auf der Harmonika, or Method of Self-Instruction for the Harmonica. And yes, I know my German pronunciation is terrible. Look, my English pronunciation is terrible. I'm from the South. Just give me a break. Anyway, Mueller was a composer. He was a musician who attended uh, St. Thomas School in Leipzig, which was a school that uh, Johann Sebastian Bach taught at, though there's no way of knowing whether or not Mueller actually studied directly under Bach or not. There are a lot of sites I saw that listed Mueller as a pupil of Bach, but also had to acknowledge that, you know, it's not like we have any record that he actually was taught directly by Bach, who was a true master of a composer. I don't have a whole lot more information about Mueller. I know that he was born in uh, the early 18th century, but don't know when he died. I didn't find any record of that. And that apparently he played the harmonica and later wrote a book about how you could teach yourself how to play it. Also that he indicated that the music produced could make people feel uneasy and irritable uh, as if they had encountered a disappointing lady, (laughs) which is a heck of a thing to say. And this reputation for the harmonica spread a little bit. And in fact, I think it spread way more in the modern era than it did in the 18th century. Stories emerged about people reportedly suffering all sorts of negative health reactions after either listening to an harmonica performance or actually playing the instrument themselves. And so the musical instrument began to be associated with this idea of of negative health impacts and that the sound produced by the instrument, this ethereal singing sound would cause these, these health impacts somehow, like that sound would somehow create these physiological reactions in, in certain people. So the glass harmonica was blamed for pretty vague complaints ranging from promoting irritability. So it could like cause a, a, uh, a pair of spouses to, uh, to, to end up fighting with each other. If they listen to an harmonica performance, for example, And it ranged all the way up to causing nervous disorders, usually poorly defined nervous disorders, because people really didn't have an understanding of what the underlying issue was. And they just kind of painted it with this overall vague term. But it all uh, even included an allegation that the harmonica was connected to the death of a child who attended a concert in Germany. Now, I will add that I couldn't find any definitive source about this this death and the nature of it and what actually happened. I don't know if that happened at all. What I do know is there are a ton of different sources out there that mention it, but I couldn't find a primary source that actually talks about what really happened. Allegedly, uh, a town in Germany even outlawed the harmonica because of its relationship with causing these sorts of Uh, negative health impacts. I will say that from what I could tell, it looked like this reputation was pretty much confined to a region within Germany. So maybe this was just a very localized superstition more than any sort of actual effect that was really produced by the harmonica. There was also a hypothesis going around that perhaps ill effects 
on harmonica players weren't because of the sound being produced. It wasn't that the notes were somehow disturbing the humors inside the human body, but rather that the bowls were made out of lead glass, kind of like the glass you would find in, say, stained glass windows. And it's true, lead itself is toxic, right? If you consume lead, first of all, it accumulates in your body. It's, you don't get rid of it. And so it, it can build up over time to becoming a toxic level and you can get lead poisoning. But just touching lead glass is not likely to cause problems. Now, if you were to drink from a lead glass, that could actually cause issues because lead could conceivably leach into whatever liquid you're drinking, especially if you have like, some sort of acidic drink or hot drink in there, you might end up consuming some lead as you drink. So you should not use lead glass to make glassware out of. And like I said, that lead will stick around in your body. So even if you're just getting a tiny bit of it each time uh, over the course of your life, it can get to a point where you can actually start to encounter symptoms of lead poisoning just because you've, you've over time consumed enough of it to have that toxicity manifest. Uh, but again, playing the class harmonica with your fingers would not likely cause such problems. I mean, I, maybe there'd be a way of having lead accumulate on your fingertips. And if you're not washing your hands at all, then perhaps you could start consuming it. But it's it's a long shot. It's not like just playing the harmonica would make you sick from exposure to lead. Maybe if you ate your harmonica, that would be a different story. It would also be a hell of a story because those things were pretty darn big and you're eating glass. So not that that's unheard of. There are people who have done it. But yeah, that that's one way you could get uh, lead poisoning, although you might have some other more acute issues to worry about before the lead poisoning sets in. I wanted to give a shout out for another podcast. I mentioned that earlier. And that podcast is Sawbones, uh, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Uh, hosted by Dr. Sydney McElroy and her husband, Justin McElroy, of the McElroys of my brother, my brother and me. In fact, I almost forgot his name there for a second. I had to think, who's the oldest brother? <laughs> it's Justin. And uh, and they they do a podcast called Sawbones where they go into uh, various medical-related stories throughout history, usually to kind of unveil when we were just completely off track, or sometimes when we accidentally found our way on the right pathway as we were learning more about medicine. They did a full episode about the glass harmonica. Uh, I recommend listening to that one. It came out actually almost a, a year ago today. Uh, it came out in early February of 2022. So definitely check that out if you want to hear more. Uh, they have a great show, and uh, I think Dr. Sydney is fantastic at explaining medical matters in a way that's really easy to understand. Uh, she does for medicine what I try to do for technology. Uh, so yeah, check that out. But I really wanted to talk about this because, again, I was just listening to that Ben Franklin song and it popped into my head and I just thought, what a curious story ranging from the, the inventiveness of the musical instrument itself and the simplicity of its mechanism. I mean, a very simple belt-driven rotational wheel that turns this stack of bowls so that you can play them. And then the very weird reputation it got later on. Plus, it's connected to a founding father of the United States. I mean, it's just kind of like so such a weird story that I felt that I wanted to 
to do a quick tech stuff tidbits on it. Hope you enjoyed this. If you have suggestions for future topics I should cover on tech stuff, please reach out to me. One way to do that is on Twitter. The handle for the show is tech stuff HSW. Another way to do that is to download the iHeartRadio app. You can download it for free on Android or iOS. And once you have it downloaded, you just type in tech stuff in the little search bar. That'll take you to the tech stuff page within the iHeartRadio app. And you'll see there's a little microphone icon. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length, letting me know what you would like to hear in future episodes. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.